Hello, you are listening to a podcast version of a recent message from Freedom Church's Sunday service. Freedom Church is a brand new church plant in Buckeye, Arizona. We meet weekly at Odyssey Preparatory Academy on Apache Road for services every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. If you're ever in the area, we would love to see you on a Sunday morning. My name is Andrew Cabani, and I'm the lead pastor of Freedom Church, and I just wanted to personally thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our podcasts If you have a prayer request or want to make a decision for Christ after listening to our podcast, please, please, please contact us via the prayer request page on our website, freedomchurchaz.com. Enjoy and God bless. This morning, Uh, if you have your Bibles, will you open them up to Acts chapter five this morning? If you don't have a Bible, there should be some at the end of your rows. If you don't have a Bible of your own, you're welcome to keep that Bible. You've got to make a deal with us. Got to read it every single day. If that's the deal, you can take it with you um, if you don't have a Bible of your own or your devices uh, to Acts chapter 5 this morning. The title of this morning's message is Don't Fake It Till You Make It. Don't fake it till you make it. Before we jump into the scriptures, I just want to talk a little bit about that phrase, right? Fake it till you make it. A little known fact about making your way as an adult And I think something that everybody who's made that trip from adolescence into adulthood would be able to tell you is we don't often talk about it, but faking it till you make it uh, is is an important thing to do. Uh, That's just kind of part of being an adult. As a society, we kind of look down on this notion, right? We don't like the idea of people faking it till they make it. We certainly wouldn't want our doctors faking it. Till they make it. We wouldn't want our airline pilots to be faking it till they make it. We wouldn't want our engineers to be doing that. Be like, eh, does, does that building look a little wobbly to you? Like, we wouldn't want, there are certain technical jobs where faking it till you make it is probably not what we would want. However, outside of those kind of very technical professions, Faking it till you make it is a very important thing to help you make your way in the corporate world. You know how to run Adobe? Sure I do. No problem. You know how to run advanced formulas in Excel? Got it. On it. No problem. You ever use this accounting software? Who hasn't? And then we furiously type away at YouTube to try to teach us how to do all of those things, right? Obviously, you want to prepare yourself as much as possible. You want the training. You want the, the, the education as much as you possibly can. That's, that's why, you know, we have universities. That's why we have colleges. And obviously, we want to be doing all of those things. Um, but you also want to make yourself feel like you're somebody who can, can take care of a task. That somebody can say, hey, I need this done. And you can go ahead and do it, right? So... While we don't talk about it all that much, faking it till you make it, very important part of being an adult. Um, it's, it's a tried and true uh, thing to do. And, and it's even that way as a parent. Like you go two, two to four days maximum in, in a hospital, depending on how you have the baby. And then the nurse comes bursting in the early in the morning on that last day. Who's ready to go home? And especially if it's your first kid, you're like, well, not really me. Like, it's pretty good here. The nurse takes the baby sometimes when it's really like... You know, crying and I need to sleep a little bit helps me figure out how to feed it. There's always towels around. They're always clean. And now I got to go, I, I, don't, I don't know, but you go home and, and you fake it as much as you can. And then eventually you figure out how to make it, right? That's every parent does. 
But uh, again, fake it till you make it. Little talk, little bit, little talked about, and yet a proven strategy in the adult world. But today's message is: don't fake it till you make it. Don't fake it till you make it. As in the idea of. Maybe this is a sound strategy with some things, but when it comes to our spiritual lives, our relationship with Jesus Christ, we don't want to be faking it. Faking it is actually one of the worst things that we could possibly be doing when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. There's a couple of examples in Scripture that we're going to look at today. And the first one is found here in Acts chapter 5 that talk about this idea of faking it, faking your spiritual walk. Nobody would ever do that, right? Nobody would ever be fake, right, when it comes to church or anything like that. We don't put on a, on a mask when we come into church, right? That's just not, that's not who we are, right? Um, not speaking of a medical mask. I'm speaking of, you know, I got to be careful with those these days. We got hot topics here. Um, but we don't put on like this disguise when we come into church, right? Nobody ever does that. Everybody's just totally real all the time. But let's talk about that as we jump in here. So Acts chapter 5, some context before we just start reading here. The last time that we met, we, re- we left off in Acts chapter 4. And what we found was that Peter and John, they were arrested. They were roughed up. They were told, don't talk about Jesus anymore. And then they were let go. And the hope by the religious authorities of the time was that that, doing all of that, was going to keep Peter and John and the apostles, the 5,000 plus members of the church that had gotten to this point, was going to keep them from talking about Jesus any longer. Because remember, this is the very starting point of what we now know as the church, capital C Church of Jesus Christ, the message of Jesus going out to the rest of the world. And the religious authorities thought by arresting their leaders, essentially, Peter and John, and roughing them up a little bit and saying, don't you talk about Jesus anymore, it was going to stop the momentum that it had. And the opposite was true. More people were coming to know Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us that at the end of chapter 4, Peter and John went back to the rest of the church, the small group of them that it was at that point, and they all prayed for more boldness in the face of persecution. And they were just ready to go. It had the opposite effect. And as a matter of fact, they all decided to stay together because, again, this original church, this original people who, when the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, thousands got saved when Peter gave the very first church sermon, essentially. And more and more were being added daily to become known as followers of Jesus Christ, being baptized into the faith. Something that we're trying to emulate as we're starting a brand new church. We've only been around since January. Some things we're trying to take cues from the first church as we get started here, right? And so they all, all of these people, the population that was there, the reason that they were there was because of a festival that was happening. It was called the Harvest Festival. They were giving thanks. It was, it was a tradition. It was like getting together for Christmas, that type of thing. So all these people were there. They didn't all live in Jerusalem, but they didn't all also want to leave. This faith that they had come to, it was tenuous. They, they were all baby Christians, so to speak. Their faith was Really important to stay next to the apostles, Peter and John, hear the teaching so that they could continue to grow in strength and be able to stand up against adversity. So they all decided to stay together. Well, um, as somebody who just got back from vacation this week, it costs money to not be where you live for an extended amount of time. Vacations cost money. And so all these people who wanted to be around the church, you know, they got to eat. They got to have a place to stay. Like, 
you weren't planning on staying for a long time. So, they, so what was happening amongst the early church and what the re rest of chapter 4 tells us is that the people were selling their possessions and they were giving them all of the proceeds over to the church so that they could provide for all these people who were now in Jerusalem as this growing momentum was happening with the church. Right? One of them is called out by name specifically in Acts chapter 4, verse 36 and 37. I have it here for the screens. It says, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money, excuse me, and laid it at the apostles' feet. So with all of that as background, let's jump into chapter 5. Verse 1, in reverence for the word of God this morning, will you stand with me as we read together? But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds, and brought only a part of it, and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose up and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they're going to carry you out as well. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last when the young men came in and found her dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all those of, of, who heard of these things. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word this morning. You may be seated. Just some easy light reading on a, on a Father's Day, right? No problem. We cover just the easy stuff, right? As we read this and we see the end result, right, there's two dead people at the end of this result. I want to make sure that we remember that the sin was not, and be very careful about this, that the sin was not that they didn't give money to the church. That's not what we're about, all right? God's kingdom is going to go with or without your money. Your, money, your giving is a very personal thing between you and God and the blessings that he can pour out for you. Your giving is, is, is not the reason. Them not giving the money to the church is not the reason that they died. The reason that they died, as Peter says, hey, when you sold the property, wasn't it, it was yours to do with. Like, you didn't even have to give it to the church. You chose to give it to the church, and you chose to say that you were giving all of it to the church. You could have done whatever you wanted with it, right? It's the fact that they wanted everyone to think that they gave more than they did. So it was like lying with a little bit of greed and pride kind of all mixed in there is what was happening. As one Bible commenter put it, they wanted the image of great generosity without actually being remarkably generous, right? Regardless, this is always one of the most troubling stories to read in Scripture. Because you're sitting there, and you're reading it, and you're like, let me get this straight. A couple 
came into the church and they acted like they were more spiritual than they actually are. They saw the accolades that Joseph got for selling off his property and they wanted to pretend to be super spiritual as well. There were people in the church who were being fake and the end result was that they dropped dead. That's what we just read. How is this different than literally any church on any Sunday that's ever happened, that's ever had services, right? Churches are littered with people being fake and trying to give off that they are more spiritual than they actually are every single Sunday. It's happening right now at churches across the country. Can we just be real? Can we just say, that? can we just be real? We know it's true. And I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we'd probably say that each and every one of us have probably fallen into that at one time in our life or another. Some of us are like, what have I said since I came in here today? Who, how did I project myself when I walked through the door? I'm just wondering. Some of us are doing those check marks in our head. Can you imagine if the judgment that was handed out then is the same, would be the same judgment that's handed out today? There'd be no one left in the church, right? We wouldn't be able to fill our church with anybody. It'd just be a bunch of dead people hanging around the church. We'd have to, like, walk over the dead people to get, can I pray for you, type of stuff, right? So why did God choose so, to so harshly punish here in this instance that we're reading about when we know that similar things happen like this all the time? Well, I, I want to dig into that as we go through here um, and other things that we can learn from this story. But before we do that, I do want to point out that this is not the only time in Scripture where we see something like this happen. You don't have to turn there, but you can mark it down for your notes. You can go back there later. It's a great way to kind of do a midweek type of Bible study. Maybe it'll come up at our own fellowship. Not sure. But uh, Joshua chapter 6 and 7, we see a, a story in those passages where Joshua is leading the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, the children of Israel, into the promised land after 40 years in the wilderness. They've spent some time, they took their licks, and they're going into the promised land. God is using Joshua to move them all in, and they've crossed the Jordan River, and they're all excited, and they have momentum, and boom, what stands in front of them? The city of Jericho, the, visually speaking, impenetrable city of Jericho. Just stop sign, right? A, a, a block wall. A, they, there's no way that they can go, but we know the story, right? They trumpets go, and the walls came tumbling down. And God delivered Jericho to the Hebrew people. And so they were able to continue their trek into the promised land. But God told them one thing. They said, hey, look, you guys know that there was no way you were going to do this without God. And so God told them, hey, I don't want you guys taking any of the spoils from the city of Jericho. Don't take any of their gold. Don't take any of their silver. Don't take any of their pelts. Don't take any of their stuff. All of it needs to be given to me as an acknowledgement that I delivered you into the promised land, that I helped you defeat this city. All the other cities that you've defeated along the way and going forward, you can take the spoils, but not from Jericho. And this was an edict that everybody was able to get on board with, with the exception of one dude. It's always that one guy, right? It's got to mess it up for everybody. Always that one dude, right? A guy named Aiken, who was Aiken for some bacon. I'm sorry, just got to. And so he went out, and he took the gold, and he took some silver, and he took some pelts, and he just decided to bury them in his tent and not listen to what God had told them. And so 
Not knowing that this offense had happened, the people of Israel continued their march into the promised land. And they came on a much smaller city. didn't look anything like Jericho. There were no high walls. It was a much smaller city. It was called A-I. A-I. A, lowercase I. That's what it was called. Um, And they said, oh, we can take them. We don't even have to use our whole army. Let's just go out there and we'll just take that city because it's next. We just took Jericho. Let's just go take AI. God is on our side. And they get their butts whooped. That's, I mean, that's not scripture exactly, but that's what happens, right? They get defeated soundly at AI. And so Joshua goes back to God and he says, God, how would you bring us this far You defeated Jericho in your name. Bring us into this place. All the promises that you gave our forefathers. Why would you bring us to this little town of Ai and have us be defeated here? And God responds to them, to to Joshua, and says, you have sin in your camp. You need to deal with it. And so they go back. Stop there for a second. God tells you you got sin in your camp and you got to deal with it. How many of us are ready to have that message taught back to us? How many of us, when we cry out to God, God, you've brought me this far. I've dealt with all of these things, with pornography or, or all these issues in our marriage, and we've come so far. We've come so far, all these things that you've brought me through, and now it's this little thing that's going to mess me up? How, are you, how can this happen, God? And God turns around and says, you have sin in your camp. Deal with it. How many of us are ready to hear that message this morning? It's difficult. That's a tough message to hear. But Joshua hears it. Joshua hears it, and they go back to the people, and they say, hey, we got some sin in our camp. And they go tribe by tribe to figure out who done it. Can you imagine Achan over there for his, with his bacon just like, it's coming my way. And the scripture actually tells us, like, obviously he's the last one because they figure out it's him, but, like, he gets to go last. Like, all these people have to go before this, and they, like, search him out, and Achan, Achan's over there chewing on some bacon, and he's just waiting. Probably not, though, because Hebrew people were talking, probably not chewing on some bacon. I'm going to take that back. Anyways, um, but he's just waiting, and then they find out that it's Achan. And they take Achan and his whole family and the entire nation Stones them all to death, puts them all to death because sin needed to be dealt with. So this is not the first time that we've seen God decide to deal with a very similar sin. Actually, the same sin, the same word, the same Greek word that's used when it says that Ananias held back some of the proceeds from his property is the exact same word used to describe Achan in in Joshua chapter seven, verse one, and what he was doing in misappropriating the the money, the, the goods of the people of Jericho. Same sin, same sin, same outcome at the very end. We see this, that God does it the exact same way. Now, before we talk about what we can learn from these stories, I just want to make a statement by reading from the book of Romans, chapter 6, because I think all of us hear that. Wow, this is really harsh. This is really tough. That God decided that because these people were being fake, projecting something that they weren't, the result was death for them and their families. That's really tough. And my response to that is found in Romans chapter 6, and it's the very first part of verse 23 when it says, for the wages of sin is death. 
Now, we as a church, as a New Testament church, we love to hang on to the second part of that verse, right? The second part of that verse, but the wages of sin is, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And we love to hang on to the second part of that verse. And we should hang on to the second part of the verse. That's our hope. That's our salvation. That's what we build everything in our foundation on because the gift of God is, is eternal life through Jesus Christ. But that doesn't make the first part of that any less true. The wages of sin is death. That's how God feels about sin. That it only deserves death. And that's what makes what Jesus Christ did on the cross so amazing. That we had all our sin put on him so that we can have eternal life. Because all that sin deserves is death. So these two stories that we've looked at this morning with Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament and Achan in the Old Testament... There are, they are reminders of two things. Number one, God's stance on sin has not changed and will not change. And what we deserve when we sin, that's, that's a reminder. These are reminders of that. But number two, the mercy that God gives us each and every day to hold back that judgment and allow us to have forgiveness. That's what these stories should be reminding us. Because none of it's promised. We often think that we will always get enough time to get right with God. We'll always have like another day. Like maybe I messed up today, but like I'll get right tomorrow or the next day or the next week. Or when the pastor asks me to come down the aisle and pray for forgiveness and repent and and to be baptized. Not this week. I'm not really feeling it this week. I don't have my walking shoes on. It's a long walk to the altar. Like not this week. Next week will be good though. Like maybe next week. But we're not promised any of that. We are not promised another day. Ananias and Sapphira did not have an opportunity to repent. They didn't have an opportunity to make it right. Achan didn't have an opportunity to make it right. But we often, though, are given that opportunity. One more note. Sapphira's name means beautiful. Sapphira is a beautiful name, right? Sapphira's name means beautiful. Ananias' name means God is gracious. So these are two just beautiful names, biblical names, um, that anybody would probably want to name their kids these things, but not a great story to, to really look at, right? But again, we get to see, we get to see the reminder of the beauty and the graciousness in God that he does often give us the opportunity to repent you're here this morning and you're dealing with sin in your life, if you have sin in your camp this morning, here's your opportunity to come to God and ask for forgiveness. We're going to have some altar time here at the very end, but this is the time to try to come to God and to make it better. You have at least some time. Um, The beauty and the graciousness of God. All right, so what can we learn from these three stories about the dangers of being, excuse me, from these three characters, these two stories, three characters, about the dangers of being fake before God. Being fake before God. I have three things for you this morning. Three things about the dangers of being fake before God. Number one, being fake will ruin your witness. 
being fake will ruin your witness. Again, going back to Acts chapter 1, the mission that was being given to the apostles was that they were going to go and be the witnesses of a resurrected Jesus to the ends of the earth. That was the mission that Jesus gave his people, to go be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. It's the same mission that we have ourselves, right, that we take on individually in the individual churches. And so, and being fake will absolutely ruin that mission. We know that to be the case. The church is always accused of harboring hypocrites. And it's the reason that many give as a reason why they decide not to go to church in the first place. Ah, churches, they're just full of a bunch of hypocrites. And on a personal level, on a physical level, on a worldly level, I totally get it. I totally get it pastor up here just saying, I get why people don't go to church, full of a bunch of hypocrites. I get it on a personal level. But on a spiritual level, as one Bible commentator put it, if you say, I'm not going to become a believer because of the hypocrites, you'll spend eternity in hell with the very hypocrites that you hate. On a spiritual level, I have this understanding that none of us are perfect, and the church is supposed to be a home for the hurting, a hospital for the hurting. We should all come in here. Nobody should be putting on the, the, the disguise that everything's good and they got it all together and how, look down on other people. You don't got it together? I got it together. I, you don't got it together. I don't know why you don't got it together. We, we, we praise the same God. We have the same Holy Spirit. Why aren't you having the blessings that I'm having? Wonder what's going on over there. That's not the way church is supposed to be. We're all supposed to come together under one God, love each other, be as real as we possibly can, and bring each other together. That, that relationship that I just mentioned with that really high-toned uh, voice that I did, I'm not going to do again, um, that person, that doesn't work in literally any other relationship that you have, right? Can you imagine being fake with your spouse? No, not going to happen. Not with my spouse anyways. Like, she can call that out, like, immediately, right? Can you imagine being fake, um, like, with your kids? My kids, they'd be like, is something wrong with you? Like, if I was just acting totally weird one day, my kids going to be like, especially Hannah, she's going to be like, Dad, what's up? Like, the littlest one, she's just going to be like, nah, I don't think so, right? Can you imagine any of your friendships? Friendships can't be built on being fake with each other. That stuff gets found out really, really fast, right? You can't be fake in literally any other relationship that you have and really have a successful relationship. So why do we try to do it when we come into God's house, especially when God knows the truth, right? God cuts to the meat of it. It's the same in the church. We have to be real with one another. Ruining the mission is also some key insight. Remember I mentioned, why, why was God so harsh with these situations, when we know the same things are happening all the time, and last I checked, this ain't happening in just any old church service um, across the country, right? So why was he so harsh here? Well, ruining the mission, I think, gives us some key insight into, uh, into the question you know, that we posed earlier. In both cases, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the people of God, the Hebrews in the Old Testament and the early church in the New Testament, they were in a very frail place. In the Old Testament, the people were just getting their footing after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. 
They didn't even have a place to call home. They were very much a nomadic people. In the New Testament, we've talked about this. This is a brand new church. These are brand new believers. They're trying to stick together for survival at this point. Everything is very tenuous. Everything is very fragile at this moment. The spiritual lives, even just the structure around these people. And God knew that being fake and lying and deceitfulness had the opportunity to ruin all of the progress that was going to be made. British evangelist G. Campbell Morgan was quoted as saying, the church has never been harmed or hindered by opposition from without. It has been perpetually harmed and hindered by perils from within. God knew that if he allowed this deceitfulness, this being fake to be continuing on in these particular situations, that it was going to cause problems that was going to keep the apostles, keep the Hebrews from fulfilling what God had asked them to do, had promised the Hebrews and had tasked the early church with doing, which was go out to the rest of the world, right? And so maybe, I don't, I don't know if this is the exact answer, but it's a little bit of insight into obviously this situation. Why is that different than now? Well, we talked about this a few weeks back. The, the, the job that Jesus gave the early church to take it to the ends of the, of the earth, job well done. Because the name of Jesus Christ is spoken at every corner of this planet. They did their job. And while individually we still have work to do to continue to speak the name of Jesus into this world, especially as there's a falling away, spiritually speaking, as times go on, as the Bible told us it was going to be. And so while we all still have a job to do where we can still pick this up, we know that the church, Big C Church, the word of God is not in as fragile a place as it was when we spoke this message. So maybe that's some insight into why people aren't just dropping dead at every church service for being fake on a Sunday morning. I don't know, but maybe there's a little bit of insight there. Uh, number two, being fake will ruin your possibilities. Being fake will ruin your possibilities. In the Old Testament story of Achan, we read that it's because of the sin in the camp that the Hebrew people are soundly defeated by a meager city of Ai. They were supposed to just keep rolling, and it was this fakeness, deceitfulness, that halted all of the possibilities until it was dealt with. I wonder what victory has turned into a loss because I was being fake. I wonder what opportunity, what possibility God had for me, but I was too blinded by being accepted or looking good to somebody or acting a certain way, and so God wasn't able to give me that victory. The origins of the word hypocrite come from stage plays. It's the idea, the word comes from the idea of somebody having one mask when they're on stage and another mask when they're off stage. One disguise on stage, another one when they're off stage. That's where the word hypocrite comes from. And what possibilities have I missed out on because I refuse to take off my disguise, my stage disguise, or my offstage disguise? What opportunities have I missed out on because I wanted to feel accepted or superior to other people? What could God have done in and through me? Man, talking about, open, talking about opening up 
a Pandora's box with that question. Do I even really want the answer <laughs> to that question? Do any of us really want the answer to that particular question? It's why God, and the key here is humility. It's why God over and over and over in scripture implores his people, again, his creation, he made us, he designed us perfectly as his perfect creation is what the Bible says, as a masterpiece. He is the author, and he's saying the best thing that you can do, implores us over and over in Scripture, is to be humble. The book of James, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. First Peter, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. book of Matthew, whoever exalts himself to be humbled... Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Book of Proverbs, multiple times. But one, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. God implores his creation, his people, to live a life of humility over and over and over again. Don't get too full of yourself. Stay humble in who you are. Why? Because it takes a very, very humble heart to examine yourself and ask the question, when I was being fake, what did God not, was not able to do through me? And it takes an even more humble heart to say, man, I really messed up and now I'm gonna make it better. There's sin in my camp and I'm gonna go fix it now. That all takes humility. We can't do that unless we are living a life of humility and it's why God calls it to us all the time. Last one, last one. Number three, being fake will ruin your day. Being fake will ruin your day. For Ananias and Sapphira and Achan, I think we can all pretty much agree they had a bad day, right? Doesn't get much worse than the day that they have. Although I will say in both stories, the inference is that all three of these people were people, quote, people of God, that they were a part people of God, that these were saved individuals. So when they left this earth, they were present with the Lord in heaven, which means that whenever we leave this earth, we're going to be present with the Lord in heaven, which means Ananias and Sapphira are going to be there. And so we can all look at them and be like, dude, dude, what's up? Right? And then they can look back at us and be like, hey, I've been watching you too. I'm like, dude, dude, what's up? Right? Um, so too many dudes in one sermon, sorry. Um, but look, God wants us, wants us just the way that we are. He wants us, all the warts that come with us, all the baggage of our past that comes with us, God wants it all. As a matter of fact, your story, your baggage, the thing that you think makes God not want you is what makes him want you even more. He knew that about you. God says that at just the right time, Jesus went to the cross. He knew that about you, and it compelled him to the cross. He still wanted to do it in spite of all of the things that you feel like is the baggage that can't be forgiven, that you need to be fake about, right? Despite all of that, Jesus still, nothing could have kept him from getting on that cross. It's with all of that in mind. And he wants you just the way that you are, warts and all. And so when you're... But being fake, acting like you're something different than you actually are, puts you really in this awful position. Because if we're being honest, I think many of us are more worried about getting caught in our sin than we are actually doing the sin. 
being called out for our sin. Many Bible uh, commentators, um, historians think that the physical reason that Ananias dropped dead right there was uh, he had a heart attack from the idea that dude just called out my sin in front of the whole church. And the shock that happened there was a heart attack as a result, being found out in our sin. And that high, that physical high wire act of have, excuse me, that emotional, spiritual high wire act of having to pretend to be something that you're not is so, so difficult. It will ruin your day. It will ruin your days by trying to be fake in something that you're not. And so I've asked myself this week, why is it that even though it feels like an emotional high wire act that so many of us do it, that so many of us find ourselves being fake in one end or another? Why is it that that happens? And the answer came to me uh, while I was out in the middle of the ocean this week. I told Kat, 0.5 was the over-under on whether or not I was going to bring up the ocean and use it for a spiritual reference this week. So it happened. We were at the beach for a couple of days um, this week. It's been way too long since we got a chance to get away. And uh, I don't want to brag or anything, but it was like 70 degrees on the beach, and I got, a, I got a notification on my phone of a heat wave back here at 115. I guess I'm bragging a little, but um, it, was, it was wonderful. And as I do when I go to the beach with my kids, we go out and we body surf. And um, we fight those waves, and we stay out there for a long time, and we just sort of fight the ocean. And one of the things that you'll know is that if you go out into the ocean and you don't do anything, you just kind of keep going out, what you'll notice is that you don't do a straight line. You kind of start to curve off to this side, right? And if, you don't, if you're not careful, you'll look up and you're looking for, you know, our blue tent, right, of, from the, the shoreline, and all of a sudden you thought it was right here, and it's like way over there because the current has just sort of taken you. And so I, I encourage my kids every so often to make sure that you stand up and you are deliberate about walking against the current to move yourself back to where you need to be. And I think the idea of being fake within the church, why do we do it even though it's an emotional high wire act? Why do we do it? It's because of that type of thing, that it's really easy to just sort of go with the current to act a certain way because nobody's going to have anything to say with you if you feel like you're being accepted because of how you're acting in that moment. But it takes a real effort. It takes effort to stand up. And, Cody, you can start to make your way over here um, if you want to get a hold of Heidi back over there. It takes a real effort to stand up and to decide I'm, I'm not that guy. I, I'm not I'm not. I don't have it all together. Like, everything's not perfect. And I'm here, and I'm just, I'm looking to hear from God today. And I'm looking for God to heal me. And I'm looking for God to help me. And I'm looking for, for my brothers and sisters to lift me up and to encourage me because I need it. And I'm not being fake. And it's so easy just to come, find our seats, grab a drink, grab a donut, just chill out in the air conditioning for a while, listen to some music, and just go home. And it's so easy to just go with the current. And then you look up, and all of a sudden, you're way off the path that you know God has called you to. But it takes effort to stand up and to walk against that current that's constantly trying to beat you up and say, I'm just, I'm just a guy, I'm just a girl, 
I know that I'm dealing with stuff, and I know that God's called me to more, that God has called me to more and to greater things, and I need help with that. And so we can't just allow ourselves to kind of go with the, the current. One Bible commenter put it this way. It's too easy to be happy with the image of spirituality without the reality of spiritual life. Real spiritual life takes work. It takes standing up and saying, I don't care how it makes me look. I need to hear from God today. And that's why altar time is so important. We have an open altar we end all of our services with an open altar. What that means is that here in a second, I'm going to ask you to stand up, and they're going to play another song. This is going to be a short song. And I'm going to stand off to the side here, and this becomes an altar of God. We believe that there is spiritual work that needs to be done each and every week. And unlike Ananias and Sapphira, God has given us the opportunity to deal with the spiritual things that we have in our lives. And so we want to make sure we give that opportunity each and every week. So whether or not you want to come up to the altar and pray by yourself, whether or not you want to pray with me, or whether or not you just want to pray from your seats, we encourage you during this time, as we're all standing, as we're all praying, not to be like looking around at what other people are doing, but to spend time with God to deal with whatever he's put on your heart today. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never been able to be counted amongst the believers, as we talked about with Ananias and Sapphira, if you don't know that absence from this earth means presence with the Lord, if that's something that you're, I'm not sure what happens when absence from this earth happens. When you, when, if you were to drop dead today, like we've seen so, so, so harshly in our stories today then you can know that there is heaven awaiting you, and I'd love to pray with you and for you for that. Whatever your need is, will you stand with me this morning? I'm going to pray, and then Heidi and Cody are going to lead us in one final song. Once they're done, I'll come up, and I'll close us in a congregational prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord. You are an awesome God. Thank you for the reminder from your word that sin is very, very serious, and that it has to be dealt with. And Father, thank you for your goodness, your beauty, your graciousness, that you give us opportunities to deal with our sin, to repent, Father, to ask for forgiveness, Lord. Father, whatever the need is right now, we give you this time, these moments as we worship you, Father, to just come draw closer to you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.